Yo, what's up, man? I am still sore from hiking the enchantment. Did you see those messages that I sent to you and mom about uh, my hike last weekend? I glanced at them. You got you have a lot of really dope pictures of like mountains. Yeah, you know deadly. what the enchantments are? It's like no, a, I've never heard of them. It's like a sort of region in the Alpine Lakes wilderness area of Washington, kind of in the Cascade Mountains. And uh, my friends have been trying forever to get me to do some sort of like torturous outdoor climb. They want to like hike Mount Rainier and just go to like really cold, frozen, slippery places. And so I agreed to, to do the enchantments, which is not cold and frozen and slippery. It's beautiful, but it's 22 miles long. So it took 22 us like, miles long? Yeah. A month ago when they asked me to do this, I was not in good enough shape to have done it. How so long does doing, that take to hike 22 miles? <laughs> we woke up at like, we woke up at like 3 a.m., we drove out there. We were on the trailhead by 6.30. Oh and then I think we got back to the car at 8.30 p.m. So it was like 14, 15 hours. So this, is, so this is why you canceled You canceled our meet. We had a meeting at like 5 p.m. the day before. Yeah. Like, Dude, I can't meet. Like, yeah, I, yeah no, I was freaking. I'm like, it's I was 5 p.m. <laughs> like, yeah, I was freaking the fuck out. No, I needed a lot. It was mostly just mental preparation. Of just like, I wrote down all my passwords and stuff. And I sent some like delayed emails in case I died. You would get uh, my passwords. What? Are you serious? <laughs> I was just, I was just not ready. I mean, like, one part of it was this, it's this part called Asgard Pass, and it's twenty three hundred feet of elevation and a mile. It's just one mile of the twenty two miles. It's like walking up the stairs to a, a two hundred and thirty story building. Like, I wasn't sure I was gonna make it back from. Like, you get halfway, it's like, like you don't really have any options. Like, you've got like helicopter rescue, you know. Uh, and someone did die. Someone died like a week before we went out there on Asgard Pass, trying to hike it, and, and just like didn't didn't make it. Is this but, one of those? Is, it, is this one of those like you you remember that someone you saw that someone died like a week ago, but it happens really rarely, or is it like yeah, every week someone someone goes to Asgard <laughs> Pass and know. dies? I didn't want to look up the stats, man. I, knowing one person died was enough. Uh, but it ended up being really fun. I was really impressed with myself. I've been doing like a bunch of stairs. Like you know me, I don't like exercise. I don't. Like I do it purely as like a utility thing, right? Like I want to look okay, I want to feel okay, and that that's literally it. I derive no enjoyment from it. But my friends are all into um you know this like this this phrase like type two fun, type one fun. So type type one fun is just fun, right? Playing video games, going like riding a roller coaster, like it's fun. Type two fun is actually just miserable the entire time and you don't like it. And then for some reason after it's done, you look back and you say, Oh, that was fun. Like, that's type two fun. Like, hiking a mountain, you know, you're really just sweating, you're cutting yourself on rocks, you know, you're stepping to get, like, pebbles in your shoes, it's cold, it's like you're hungry, all you have is cold food. So, like, and then after you're done, air you're quote glad fun, done. like, you're fun that you overcame something that you didn't think yeah, that you'd be able exactly. to overcome. Yeah, and all my an annoyingly athletic friends are, like, only into type two fun. And every time we're having type one fun, they complain about how it's not hard and miserable and blah, blah, blah. I feel like blah, they should stuff. be my friends. I think we should just swap <laughs> friends. Yeah, we should, we should swap, but... I don't know. It was it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. I saw some of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. I'm trying to avoid falling into like the slippery slope, you know, because like once your friends get you to do something like this, like oh, just do this, do this. Like they want to hike like oh, Mount yeah, Saint, we got you. Mount St. Helens now. You know, it's gonna start being like bigger and bigger mountains, and I'm setting like a firm upper cutoff. Like if I need special training or equipment, if I have to do avalanche training, like I don't want to go. I'm setting a firm cutoff that I don't want to do it. Hey, what's up, Marco? Hey guys, how are you? Hello, hello, Marco. Welcome. We're talking about uh, going on monster death hikes with 
with our athletic friends. Cortland just <laughs> nice. went on a hike. Cortland just went on a hike. Uh-huh. It was a 22-mile hike that he was so afraid about that he like went and saved all of his passwords and made sure that like, I was in the event that he would that he died. <laughs> I was being appropriately cautious. <laughs> wow, 22 miles. That's a long hike. It nice. was way too long. Are you a, are you an outdoorsy person, Marco? Do you like hiking? I would say not not such long hikes. No, I've never been on such no. long. But you know, uh, well, I speak in kilometer, but a few kilometer here and there in the weekends around the parks and around green green spaces. Yeah, I um, just became a father um, about ten months ago for the first time. So these days, oh, my congratulations. Uh, my, thank you. My hike these days is like taking the baby out for you know one two hour <laughs> walk around the park and so on. <laughs> where where are you located? You're in Europe, right? Uh, I'm I'm in Europe in uh, Brussels uh, or it just is to Brussels in Belgium, like 20, oh, okay. 20 kilometer out. So like we have uh, right now it's like six p.m. So it's getting dark. Uh, like summer is done. Oh, so right. so I have like a big light here just to shine in my face so you guys can see me. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> very illuminated. I assume, I assume this this is not going on video anyhow. But in case you need it, uh, you can have it. No one's no, <laughs> no one's gonna not. see you. You can. And, have and me, meanwhile, Portland's completely in the dark. I'm surprised that he's even dressed. <laughs> I'm silhouetted. I'm like Batman right now. I'm very mysterious. It's early here. It's like 9 a.m. What's that? Yeah, what's yeah. it like in Brussels? I've never been. What's like the what's like the go-to thing in Brussels that would make me want to visit? That's my stereotype. Well, Belgium, uh, Belgium. I'm not Belgian, so I moved here three three years ago. So uh, my girlfriend came to work here. Uh, basically, Belgium is famous for you know the French fries. They call them French fries, but they're actually uh-huh. invented in in Belgium. They're Belgian Ooh, fries. Uh. If you, if you actually ask French people, they will call them Belgian fries. So wow. that's Belgium. Are, are Belgians uh-huh. like resentful about <laughs> the French? Yeah, French stealing just, that label. Just took that. Uh, Belgium is funny because uh, it's kind of like Switzerland. It's like you have split in three parts, and one mm-hmm. part is speaking French officially, one part is speaking Dutch. There's no Belgian language, you know. There's like three languages, but none of them are Belgian. Uh. And then half of the country speaks French, and I assume somehow that got translated to French fries because the, the guys in the French part of Belgium actually invented the fries and then people were like, oh, these are the French fries because they speak French. And I, I assume uh, this is my guess. But the French fries, beer, famous for beer, like all the mm-hmm. fancy beer, uh, hundreds of fancy beer come from here. Waffle, waffles, that's Belgian invention too. So, but I guess there's, there's, there might be a few cheeses here, <laughs> but you know that will be more Italy and France, I would say, kind of more in like uh, the bigger picture. I think these three will be more like really what's Belgian famous for, or at least in Europe. I was talking to uh, Nathan Barry from ConvertKit years ago, and he wanted me to come out to Boise, Idaho. And his pitch for Boise, Idaho was basically the same. <laughs> we got french fries, <laughs> we got potatoes, and uh, beer. <laughs> so I guess I've basically been to, to Belgium if I've been to Boise. I think uh, like Belgium is very flat, so like your your uh, hikes, I don't think they'll be very dangerous here or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see that now, now you sold him on going to Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. So. <laughs> so we should we should introduce you. You are Marco Serik. You are the co-founder of Plausible Analytics. Uh, you tweeted I think a month ago that you just passed a hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue, one point two million dollars a year in revenue, uh, and that comes entirely from your customers. You just have. I think yeah. 7,800, 8,000 customers. That's insane. That's no big a deal. huge amount of money. Only $100,000 a month. Yeah, $100,000 a month. You've always kept your team uh, super tiny. You're independent. You're self-funded. You're bootstrapped. You guys launched on Indie Hackers, actually, like three and a half years ago. It's a cool story, man. I'm happy to have you on here. I think Plausible is a cool company. And like, congrats on the success. I'm looking at your revenue graphic. 
it's like the classic graph where it's the first year, it's just flat. <laughs> it looks like it's zero. You guys made only, you think you got up to like $400 a month in revenue in your first year. Yeah. And then after that, boom, it just starts to curve upward. You know, nine months later, you're making 10 grand a month. And nine months after that, you're making 40 grand a month. And then nine months after that, you're up 100 grand a month. So it's not slowing down, it doesn't seem. Yeah, yeah. if I couldn't make a better summary, I think uh, that, that's a good summary. And thank you. That's, uh, I appreciate the kind words from you guys. Did you expect something like this to happen? Like, obviously, you start a company, you want it to be big, you want it to be successful. Uh, how does it feel? Like, I mean, do you feel like you've reached the promised land? Are you where you wanted to be? I'm like, I, I never imagined we would be at this stage. You know, I, I, I try not to have any kind of long term uh, goals or plans. So, like, uh, my co founder, Ruku, he started the company alone uh, late 2018, I think it was. He, he's the coder, he's a developer. So, he was, you know, developing and and he, he was the one that, you know, published on Indie Hackers as soon as he released the first version. And, and that's how it started. But I joined him, um, like, April or March, April 2020. Or t I, I know, I'm, I'm now losing dates. I'm like, just, yeah, <laughs> just like uh, 2020. Yes, that's uh, it's so much happens in, in the startup world that, uh, that uh, you know, two years ago, it's like so far 2020 away. 2020 was like five years long. Yeah, exactly. And COVID and all that. So basically 2020 March, I joined him. That's about a year into him uh, releasing the subscription business, $400 uh, MRR, uh, no, 30, 40 customers. Uh, and I, I mean, at that stage, I really, I mean, I was, I was there. I believed in the project. I was like, we're going to make it, you know, we're going to try and get it out to as many people as possible. But I never, I never, never dreamed that, you know, we will have 8,000 plus subscribers today and whatever. So let me get that straight. So you're saying when you got on, it had been around for two years and it was at $400 MRR. So basically released first beta was like January, 2019. But then the, the first uh, subscription product came in May 2019. And I joined, uh, like, I think it was uh, March 2020. So say right. eight, eight months or so of subscription, we went from zero to 400. And, you know, about 40 or so subscribers wow. uh, at that stage. Wait, so you yeah. were the inflection point. <laughs> this graph is yeah. flat <laughs> until know, Marco joins. Yeah. And then boom. I'm, uh, you know, I have, a, <laughs> I have a, a marketing experience. So yeah. I came from it with a bit of a different uh, background and, and, and different view on things. So I, um, I made, uh, made things clear on our website, like the positioning and, and kind of put us up against Google Analytics, uh, kind of very straightforward and very, very direct. And, and luckily, I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, I, um, I published our first blog post in April 2020, uh, or first, my first blog post for Plausible. And, you know, I, I went to Hacker News. I was like, this, this could work for them, for that audience. I submitted it myself, first try, within uh, two hours or so, it was on the top of the homepage of Hacker News, and that's the kind of uh, what launched wow. us. So if that point did not happen, yeah, I don't know if it would have been uh, you know, where we are today. So that was like, um, why you should remove Google Analytics from your website or something. <laughs> I the title was something along those lines, and uh, people loved it. It was not like salesy for Plus, it was more like the list of why, and then the last point was like, Okay, here's one of the alternatives you can consider and went on top. And uh, I think if you look at our MRR chart, we, we shared even at that point, like a couple of days after that, that mm -hmm. was like the, the huge, first huge big spike started. Let's talk about uh, what Plausible is. So your company, Plausible, I'll, I'll describe it here. It helps people track analytics for their website. So if I got a website like andyhackers.com, for example, uh, and I want to see how many page views I'm getting, how many visitors, how long they're staying, I just install Plausible. It'll tell me everything I need to know. 
And I guess kind of the elephant in the room here is that there's obviously like a bunch of other analytics tools. Like you said, when you launched in Hacker News, you're like, stop using Google Analytics. Google Analytics is like probably the number one like mm-hmm. analytics platform in the world. It's super popular. I was using it like 20 years ago to track traffic to my website. But Plausible is different because it's privacy friendly. It's privacy focused. Um, you're not installing cookies. You're not following users around the web. It's not invasive. And it's also open source. So as a user, I can open up the source code to Plausible. I can go on GitHub and I can see how it works. I can see what kind of changes you're making. I can see why you're making those changes. And I can trust you better as a platform. A good summary. You can even uh, you can even go as far as download Plausible and install it on your own server or on, on your own computer. And you can actually read everything and, and, and see, kind of verify. If, if you know how you're doing it, you can verify that our words that we put on our homepage kind of match with, with our action on, on our software. So... They're open source also in a way that you can self-host plausible completely free. All the indie hackers, all the business owners, everyone has experience with Google Analytics. I've used it for years, uh, similar to you. And, and you know, people love it, people hate it. So that, that was why we, we were like, okay, let's, uh, let's put us up against Google Analytics and explain the differences. And so we are privacy first. We are uh, lightweight. So we're like something like 45 times lighter for your, for your website, for your loading time. Uh, we are much simpler to use. So one of the big uh, issues with Google Analytics is like it's so complicated that nobody understands it, or right. few people understand it, or you, you have to get like a buy and have a course to understand it. You got to like hire a Google is... Analytics professional, basically, to come <laughs> well, into your company and PhD. do nothing but that. From our perspective, we noticed you, or at least I noticed you right away. You said that you made your first post on Hacker News and you got to the front page and. We see people trying to get to the front page of Hacker News all the time. It's like the toughest crowd ever. When Dropbox posted their MVP, you know, there were like five people who were like, this is a stupid product, right? Like they're a famously tough audience. It's a website full of angry nerds. Yeah, Angry, discerning, picky nerds. And like most importantly, and this is sort of the detail about Hacker News that people don't grok immediately is that there's like a lot of envy, right? If you're like, hey, I got this new product uh, and we're doing really well, you know, it's only a couple of people. Like there's so many people who are just like get, they get really envious, but with plausible, you have all of the like you check all of the boxes that angry nerds, angry like tech nerds love. It's like you, obviously there's the open source, there's the privacy focus, there's like the little guy going up against Google, the fact that you're bootstrapped, so you know you've got this uh, subscription based mo- model as opposed to like selling ads where you know the the, the customers are really just. Well, that the part product. makes people feel bad a lot too sometimes. Like when we used mm. to put stories on indie hackers early on of people being bootstrapped, there's like something where like if someone sees someone else succeeding having not raised a bunch of venture capital or like having not like you know tapped on into like family connections uh, other people see that and they're like oh I could do that and for a lot of people that's inspiring and then for like maybe five or ten percent of people that's like dang is there something wrong with me that I haven't done this you know let me tear this person down but no one did that <laughs> to your launch your, your launch it seemed like it was very well received actually our launch was uh, was they retitled it because somebody complained that we were kind of uh, attacking Google Analytics too much, or somebody complained that we were promoting plausible too much, in the, even though it was the last point all the way down. But basically, they changed it from, you know, how, why you should remove Google Analytics from your website to, I think it was, you know, a privacy-friendly Google Analytics alternative or something. You can go to Acronyms and check it. But one of the moderators actually changed it, and that kind of, uh, our, our whole traction we had with that post, it was gaining a lot of votes that kind of stopped immediately. And, we fell down the homepage and, and so on. So that uh, that was our, our kind of introduction to Hacker News. Uh, we've, we've since been on Hacker News, uh, I would say, eight to nine times on the homepage. 
Uh, so that that audience, you know, we we really have a nice experience there. Obviously, you know, you have hundreds of people upvoting you, but you might have a one or two comments saying something bad. So, but but that's uh, to be expected. With so many people kind of have uh, had their eyeballs on you, then you kind of learn to deal with it or learn to live with it or, uh, at least, and uh, and you can ignore it because a vast my majority of they're mo maybe mostly silent or they just upvote it. But they, they like what you're doing and that's what you are on the homepage. You should ignore the two or three that say something not so positive. I'm looking at the, the post now, two years ago. Some of these comments are from like, you know, October 2020. One of them says, I've lost count of all the Google Analytics alternatives. It seems there's a new one popping up every week. It's not a criticism, but I'm wondering why there's so many people developing their own alternative product. That's a question, the exact question I wanted to ask you. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> when they're, you're trying to come up with an idea, you know, it's like, well, it's kind of obvious that there's all these other successful products that are already out in the world. But most founders are like, okay, I've got to do something new. I've got to do something unique. But you and your co-founder like set out to build something that was taking on this huge incumbent. And then there's already like a thousand other people who are trying to take on this huge incumbent. Yeah. So like, why did, why did you think that was a good idea to build? Why, I mean, you joined a little bit late. Why did you think that was a good idea for you to, to join? I think uh, if you look, uh, you know, GDPR was a big, uh, big point in the in the history of the web. I would say, especially from European side. So when it was released or introduced, I don't know, four or five years ago, I don't know. But that, that's when this whole privacy aspect started started becoming bigger and bigger, trendier and trendier. And uh, Google Analytics. Explain to explain to people uh, what GDPR is in case they don't know. So basically, it's um, it's a data. Uh, protection uh, law that uh, protects people from the European Union in terms of uh, being able to have a say at least in, in how their data is collected, for what reasons, what is it used for. So, I mean, people complain about GDPR because all those banners, you know, now you have a, every website has a banner, or at least every website that uses Google Analytics and, and such tools, they have a banner saying, oh, would you like us to sell your data to 100 different companies? Then you have to say yes or no. And they, they make it difficult for you to say no. So those banners, they're part of what GDPR is because GDPR was introduced to give you a clear information like this website wants to do this with this of your data and you have the right to say yes or not to it, like a clear consent. And basically that's what GDPR is. And that, at least in my opinion, I'm a marketer. I used to use Google Analytics. I used to use Facebook. I used to do the advertising. I was part of... Uh, a large company doing the Facebook ads and, and all that stuff. So I was uh, myself ignorant about the issues of privacy and so on. So at least in my in my personal case, GDPR really was like, I was working for a startup at that time and, and I was like tasked like, can you figure out what GDPR is? Because it's going to be introduced <laughs> next month. And can right. you tell us like, how is that going to change what we're doing right now in terms of marketing? And then I read that, like what GDPR was, I was like, but th this this will change completely what we're doing. Like. We were buying uh, mailing lists and things like that at that point in this other company. And the GDPR has completely stopped. Uh, you know, in some yeah, countries, you still get like, uh, yeah, in some countries, you still get like all these cold calls, cold emails, like people buying your email addresses, your phone numbers somewhere. But in Europe, that kind of has, does not exist really anymore. I'm looking at the GDPR page on Wikipedia, and this is like the most perfect story of timing because look, uh, GDPR was adopted on uh, in 2016 in April, and it became enforceable on May 25th in 2018. So right when Plausible gets gets created, that's right when GDPR becomes uh, enforceable. Exactly. So it's like the, 
perfect timing. And it's like, what am I going to do? Like keep Google Analytics and try to reconfigure it or just like drop it and get this alternative. But you're still like one of like many Google Analytics alternatives. Like there are others out there. I know um, what's Paul Jarvis who wrote the book company. Paul Jarvis, like, yeah. he, he runs like Fathom Analytics, which is also like a privacy focused analytics company. Um, you're sitting there, you're a marketer. You're like reading about GDPR. You're like, oh shit, this is like going to change everything. Uh, and then at some point you decide you want to join a company. Like how did you... I mean, there's a ton of companies on ND Hackers. Mm. There's a ton of people who are doing self-funded bootstrap startups. Um, how do you like sort through tens of thousands of companies and try to like pick a co-founder and pick a product mm. that you think that you can help accelerate as a marketer? Well, in this case, Uku, my co-founder, called uh, emailed me. You know, it found uh, a blog post I did about Google Analytics alternatives. I was I was public because I was getting into this world. I was I started publishing stuff on my blog and so on. So he found one. He contacted me. I checked out what he built, uh, the, the dashboard. I was like, this is great. Uh, I, I know how we can use this. Uh, I was also aware of, uh, you know, some of the other alternatives. And I thought this one was designed in a way that me as a marketer, I can enjoy better and I, I understand better. So I, I thought that had really great potential. So for me, that kind of decision, it's not like I've been through, you know, a lot of research and find all the other co-founders and kind of figure out who can I join. But no, this was an opportunity that fell into my lap, you can say. And I, I took it and then we worked together and then it turns, turns out it was great. So now the question is, what about all these other small alternatives like us? The thing is, nobody knows about them. For example, even to this day, like that Hacker News comment is like, Ooh, why, do, why, every, why does everyone build this, you know, these small startups? Nobody knows about it. Even to this day, we get emails from people daily saying, oh, I never heard about alternatives to Google Analytics until I heard about you. Uh, say 70% of the web uses one tool, that is it. That, that's what they know. That is the norm, the standard everyone uses, everyone knows it. It's been there for decades. It's made by one of the largest companies in the world. It's connected to everything you do, the, the ad campaigns and everything else. This is what people use. And it's not like people go every day and, oh, I need to find an alternative to this tool that does everything <laughs> that I need. So it's not like uh, one of those tools that, um, that people just go and look for alternatives all the time. So... On our homepage, it's not like we have to compare ourselves to all the different smaller tools as well, like us. No, we just compare ourselves to Google and a couple other of the really big ones because that's what the people know, like in terms of how many websites they're installed on, in, in terms of kind of brand awareness. Those are the kind of uh, the names that everyone knows in marketing. And then there's us and there's all these other smaller ones that nobody knows about, you know. It reminds me of uh, this, uh, this slide that like every startup has on their pitch deck when they go to pitch venture capitalists, where they're like, the market is $600 trillion. And if we can only capture 0.0001%, we'll be making you know this much money. But that's like kind of true for you, where you don't have to have millions and millions and millions of websites. You can make over a million dollars a year, just like 0.0001% of the market. And you're the marketer who's come in and, and made it possible for people to find you. That's definitely positive in our market is that the there's so many websites. <laughs> Every website kind of needs some type, some type of analytics. It's not like we're working in, uh, with, a, with a product that only a few people need. We're, we're working on a product that uh, hundreds of millions of websites need. So we can find 60,000 of them that, that need ex exactly us. That's, that's perfect enough to have a sustainable business, profitable business that, you know, now we have a team of eight people. In terms of reaching people, I mean, you, you've got a you're only putting a small dent. Obviously, you're the marketer. Is it mostly like a marketing effort? Do you have like you know, a sales um, approach 
like how do you grow in that sense like what's what's yeah how do you how do you reach millions of people or how do you reach thousands of customers when every every one of these other google analytics alternatives is struggling to to get found beyond beyond posting to indie hackers which is also a great strategy Well, Indie Hackers is great one. Uh, if you if you see my, uh, there was a post in Indie Hackers like last week, and for whatever yeah. reason, I made it in like top ten or I don't know. Like I was, my name was like in in the top of like the the most upvoted Indie Hacker users. And <laughs> yeah, that, I saw uh, that. Th- th- there you go. That that's one of my one of the ways you do it. Uh, but basically, if you don't have a sales team, there's no sales strategy. I I say no to majority of people that come and ask us. Oh, can we have a sales call? I was like, I don't, like I'm sorry, but there's just too many mm. people wanting this, and I'm I'm one. I'm a I'm still the kind of mark, only marketer in the company. So I, I got to apologize and say, no, but you can look at our live demo and so on. So no sales, uh, none of those tricks, uh, no paid ads. We don't do, we have not mm. spent, we, we spent zero dollars uh, on advertising uh, until now. So everything is coming from organic side and, you know, from our effort of our time. Obviously the product itself, we've been improving the product. Uh, listen to people and, and kind of building the features they need. So every time we add a new feature, such as we added a Google Analytics import very recently, and Google Analytics uh, is uh, is there. They're shutting down the Universal Analytics uh, next summer. They announced that a few months ago, and we were ready immediately. Within that announcement, within a few days, we were like, okay, here's a Google Analytics import. So basically, that's a big part of it. And then you know that that's how people get to hear about you because it's like oh Google is shutting down. We need to find an alternative. Here's one that has an import. Let's try it out. That's one. So features and building it up is the kind of market demands. Content like we discussed for Hacker News Indie Hackers, we published uh, in the first year or so. When I had more time, there was less demand on us, so I had more time. So I was publishing I think two blog posts per week. And these blog posts were not like, okay, plausible is the greatest analytics in the world. Come check us out. <laughs> no, no, they were, they were um, educational, inform- informational. Right. They were, you know, I had to research them. I had to find a topic that people are interested in, the questions that people want answers for. And I would then write really educational content. And that had the, the side benefit was always that it was hosted on plausible.io and and within the content or at the end, I will be like, okay, so if, if you like what this sounds like, take a look at uh, what we're building. That was the main one, really. And um, those seven times or so, eight times that we went on top of Hacker News in the last two years, every time it was because of a specific blog post that we published. And so what happens then is that if 30, 40, 50,000 people see that blog post, so one day on Hacker News, you know, few thousand on any hackers, few thousand on Twitter and so on, that builds your brand awareness. So then... If you look at our traction, there are all our MRR. It's like it's not like we went up straight away. It's just every week there's a you know two percent increase or so on. And now it's been like two years of weeks, and every time there's two percent increase, and we get like one thousand trials per per month. So more people know about us. More people get to experience like there there is a Google Analytics alternative. Right. It exists. More people then can share it with their friends and then a network and colleagues. Well, I published a blog post when we reached the 1 million ARR um, a couple of months ago, I think. That was the last blog post I published. So I no longer need to go publish twice per week uh, because now we, we're at that stage that uh, if you look, actually, if you look at like, uh, you know, the Google search trends. So now like plausible search for plausible, plausible analytics, that takes over, like if you look at like um, privacy first analytics, uh, Google Analytics Alternative uh, or GDPR Analytics or Cookie Less Analytics or all these keywords combined get less searches than Plausible Analytics alone now gets. So basically, oh, that's brand recognition. Yeah, that basically that approach of, of 
publishing content out there, content that kind of has something to say. For example, if, if Google did something that we didn't like, what was that flock initiative a couple of uh, like last summer or whatever, then they will publish a post with our view on it. And that, that one went on top of, of uh, Hacker News as well. So basically with each of these posts that, that made it well in social media and so on in niche communities, more people will know about us indirectly. They will try us out. Then there will be a reason to talk about mm. us. When, when Google Links does something bad, such as when Google Links announces, oh, we're going to shut down Google Links, then people remember, oh, there were, there were those guys, that little team there from Europe yeah. uh, that I read about uh, five months ago on, on Hacker News that, that built something. Let me go check it out and recommend it to my company. So like our stats are live to the public. So you can actually check all these spikes from Hacker News. Uh, and if you look at the spikes, and if you look at like our goal, goal conversions on that day, like child signups, there's no, there's no big spike. So you will get like huge traffic spike, but no, like uh, it's not like it, that, that does not result in MRR on the same day. So, but we do see like weeks after, months after that people that have read that post, they're kind of influential. So what happens a lot is uh, a developer reads something on Hacker News and then we get an email. Oh, our developers, now that we need an alternative recommended you. So we get like people that have read about us and heard about us because of our blog posts. And we were not selling plausible directly. It was just a blog post about a specific topic that's re related and relevant. Then eventually that kind of translates into, you know, uh, recommendations and, and word of mouth and, and that translates into trial signups. And then a certain percentage of people like what they see in that one month of trial. And then that translates into MRR for us. This is fascinating because a lot of people try to do what you've done like content marketing, blogging, let's write a bunch of educational articles that inform our audience and teach them about how to succeed with their companies or their startup in this space, teach them about technology, like that's what you're doing. You're writing these super helpful articles. Why do you think this is working so well for you and it doesn't work for others? Because you have a background mm. in marketing. You came into this like having already like run your own blogs in the past, having already kind of yeah. seen what works, what doesn't work. You worked, I think, at a startup and a, a much yeah. bigger company that was a public company yeah. doing marketing for yeah. them. Um, what do you know about marketing that like the prototypical sort of first-time indie hacker blogger doesn't know that allows you to sort of uh, create this positive flywheel? Luck is a big part, but basically, I mean, content marketing works. There are companies that do well. But obviously it works and it's been spread that everyone wants to try it. And, and then in the end, obviously 1% or so succeeds. And uh, what I've seen, at least from my experience, those that don't succeed, there's a lot of this that uh, they get people that don't have any experience with the topic to write. They get uh, to use these tools rather than experience. So like, okay, let me use this tool and just follow what they tell me. But that, that kind of stuff, uh, when you read those blog posts, that well-optimized. None of our blog posts are optimized. We have not run like a SEO tool to tell us this is what you should write as a headline. This is, they just, I just write them the way I would speak to you, you know? I then maybe read it once, twice to, to check like spelling mistakes or whatever, but uh, they have not been run through a machine or AI or whatever to be optimized for search or to optimize for whatever. And one thing people do, uh, which is very common, is like go to Google, search for the topic you want to cover, take the top 10 blog posts because they're doing something well because they're ranking top 10, put them all together, all the subheadings, create one blog post that kind of has everything that all these templates have and just release like 10,000 words out there. And the right. hope is like, okay, that, it will work. So no, I, I feel um, the way content is done, like the scale of, of that, that the many companies want it to be done is like, it's, it's too generic, too kind of robotic. I, I feel there's no like authentic voice. 
and, yeah. and people can see through that. So I, I feel that's that's one of the main things that I, I feel like I have contributed with in terms of uh, content. It's like I've experienced with this topic. I really care about what I'm writing and I really believe in what I'm writing and I'm just writing it out there. I don't try to filter around myself. I don't try to get an AI to check myself or, or whatever. I don't try to <laughs> I don't try to make it on top of uh, Google search results. And, and uh, in some ways, if you're lucky, that might work. I'm just sitting here listening to like just brilliance spew out of your mouth. And it's like, it's amazing. Like you're, you obviously were a really, really talented marketer and your co-founder found you. So it's, I think, I think like yeah. the obvious takeaway is like you were putting yourself out there. Well, right? I think like, your you co-founder, like Uku did like a really smart thing by hiring you. Like there's so many indie hackers who are basically just like basically struggling in obscurity. And often they're software engineers and they're building really cool products that nobody is using, right? And he, like, as you said, Marco, like, you're not just a marketer. You're somebody who actually knows about the space. You'd grown blogs before. You knew about analytics tools. And Uku found you because you'd written a blog post comparing, like, Google Analytics alternatives and, and, and stuff like that. So you had the domain expertise. And I think that that's just not a strategy that enough indie hackers take, which is to go find somebody who actually has experience doing the hard thing that you're struggling with. And then I think the other half of what you did really well and that sort of like sort of armchair uh, analyzing your company is that like you found the right channels. So for example, you're saying like not a lot of people know, even think about having an alternative to Google Analytics. When you look at your search traffic, it's mostly people who recognize your brand because they already know about you and they're searching for you. And it's like not that many people are searching for like privacy focused alternative to Google Analytics. People don't even think about it, right? And so instead of spending like a lot of time trying to like build up your SEO traffic and target all these keywords that no one's even searching for, you went straight to like the source of all the nerds who would care about this kind of thing because they know about privacy and they know about analytics. You went to Hacker News, you went to Andy Hackers, and like that has been a consistent source of traffic for you. And so I think a lot of like marketers and people in general don't think hard enough about like what channel actually has my people on it and like what am I going to get like the right bang for my buck if I invest you know hours, months, weeks uh, into writing content for. Yeah, I think uh, this was uh, early on, we, we discussed this a lot and, and this was clear uh, from my side, like content is the way to go, organic is the way to go, just just because of the, the, the niche we're in. If, if you're doing some different type of product, uh, I can still look at what kind of channels you should use and I will probably come to a conclusion, you might use, you should use ads, you know. Uh, content does not really work for all spaces. Um, right. And I feel in this space, being a Google Ads alternative and going to Google and, and giving Google money to do the advertising for you, uh, that just would not work. You know, if you have um, once in a while, some, somebody always comes up on Google Ads and tries to do like plausible analytics, whatever ads and so on. But that, uh, that kind of approach never works uh, because what we build and what we believe in and what the product does, that's not really where the audience will find us. So now I'm not saying that, you know, now we are at 1 million ARR. So now maybe, maybe this niche approach the content approach, maybe it won't work anymore, you know? So yeah. maybe the, we will be hitting the limits maybe tomorrow, maybe a month from now. Who knows? We don't know. It's the first time we're doing it. So maybe there will be limits of this approach and then we will need to reconsider and like, what do we do now? How do we continue growing? How do we keep covering the churn? And so, so we kind of continue growing and being able to, to pay the salaries and so on. But until now, until this, this level, it's, uh, it's been easily done without any, any other marketing. So was this like a, like a master plan you came up with early on? I'm trying to like imagine, you know, you join Uku. He he reaches out and does he email you? Is yeah, like, hey, yeah I, got, I got an email. Did he immediately yeah. say, "Hey, do you want to join me?" Or like, how did that how did no, that play so out? Basically, I, I don't know if I have the email. I should I should check it again. It's been more than two years, but uh, basically, I read your blog post. 
this is Blockbuster Red, liked it. I think we're thinking in a similar way. I'm building this tool. Take a look. Would you be up for, you know, having a call to, to kind of discuss how, 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 you know, I'm looking for, for help in marketing. Would you be up for kind of checking it out? And from my perspective, I knew there was a need for this. I knew the GDPR and things we discussed that there was a growing trend. And, uh, you know, I knew some of the, the other players on the market. I even tried some of them. I was never happy as a marketer. I thought they were like too, like, they were not made by a marketer for a marketer. They might, might have been made by a developer who's like trying to do something and maybe has not spoken to enough people to, in the marketing world to, to kind of understand what, what needs to be done. And I felt Uku was kind of there, closer to that level than the alternatives I knew in terms of design and features and then like how that can be improved, slight tweaks that can really make it well and great for marketing teams. So yeah, from my, my perspective, I was like, yeah, this is great. Uh, let, let's get on a call. Let's, let's see what we can do. We took it, uh, I think it was three months or so. Like we said, let, let's see how we work together, whether there's any potential in this uh, before we kind of uh, go and sign any kind of uh, co-founder agreement or whatever we did eventually. Uh, so three months, but uh, obviously that blog post went, uh, you know, live even within the first month and uh, we, we saw traction immediately. And uh, so it was kind of quite clear that yeah, this works and the, the kind of partnership we have works. Uku can focus on the development, I can focus on communication. And yeah, it, it's, it's been like this to, to this day. So from Uku's side, all that makes sense, right? I mean, he was already doing the startup. He wants, you know, super powered marketers to help him. But you had a whole different career. I mean, obviously a successful marketer. Otherwise, he wouldn't have reached out to you. You, you know, had a, a stable job. And this is this like risky venture. So like before this, did you have ambitions to join a startup one day? Like basically my career went degree at university, uh, went into like a public listed company like in London, like I don't know, they were like three billion pound war from the stock market and huge team. And so I, I knew I learned how the, the, the normal company does it, you know, the corporate, how, how they do marketing. Mm-hmm. Then I went to a startup. I quit that job after, I think, seven or eight years. Then I went to a startup, like a venture-funded startup. So I then got to know what it is to work for investors. Like, oh, I got to do the reporting for investors. Got to go to San Francisco, do the, the, the see if we can get a, a more funding so we can pay salaries next year. I did that for about three years. And then uh, at the stage where Uku um, contacted me, I did not have a job. So I was uh, kind of in between jobs. And the reason I was started publishing this post because I started getting interested in this field of, of privacy first. I started researching alternatives for my own, the, the stuff I use personally, but also the stuff I use for my own blog. I, I started kind of de-googling my own website. So that's why I published an article about how to de-google your website because I did it myself, you know? So I started getting into this because of interest. And I, what I try to do is if I wanna go in some direction, I will do it myself. I will learn about it. I will publish what I learn. And that kind of opens my doors to privacy first space. And that's, that's kind of, you know, there were some other companies that reached out as well about getting help and so on. But my, my perspective was like that. What, you've written, I think, a few things that are like a little bit anti-Google, anti-Facebook. One of your posts <laughs> on your blog is like, how to get your parents off Facebook. You know, how do you de-Google your website? What's behind this? Are you just anti-big companies? Are you like mostly privacy focused? Like, I know like myself, I've been immersed in the sort of privacy hacker culture for a long time, but I've always been kind of lazy, just like, eh, you know, I still use Google Analytics. I still uh, have a Facebook account. You know, I'm not on there very often, but I have one. Um, what's, what's driving like, your, your opinions on this kind of stuff? 
you know, I, I used to use all the, all of those tools. I, I was a big fan of Google. Maybe if you look 10 years back or so, you know, I, I remember when they released, was it Hey or whatever? No, not Hey, that's mm -hmm. new. Inbox, was it Inbox? Like that new cool email client for Gmail. And I was uh -huh. like recommending to my friends and my family. I was like, guys, check this out. Google Photos <laughs> when it came out. I was like, this is the best tool I've ever seen in my life. You know, the Google Photos, what it did. So I, I went from <laughs> being a fan and using all the products to, you know, there was a, I don't know now which came first, so GDPR. Snowden kind of came with all these revelations mm, about the yeah. privacy and what's going on. And then Cambridge Analytica. So yeah. kind of these three things, all of them kind of impacted me. Uh, all of them I heard about, I read about, I was like, this is the world I live in, both as a marketer, but as a person, I've been recommending these tools, I've been using these tools. Uh, maybe maybe they're not as good as I was thinking. Maybe, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's uh, something else in there. Obviously, there's also the fact that uh, Google has changed, no? I mean... Uh, these days, Google is like a real corporation and it's more about uh, the shareholder value and increasing that than it's about, you know, building cool tools anymore like it was maybe 10 years ago or so. And, you know, the, the, the people that were in charge there and then, they don't have much to say today where it's all about, you know, uh, making more money, I guess, squeezing more money out of people. So basically, I, I feel there was these two things. My own interest, these kind of big topics such as GDPR being being kind of top of the mind in, in kind of culture, especially in Europe, they were really big, all of these three. And, and then that fact that I thought that uh, maybe the directions these, these companies are heading is not as good as the, the kind of where they came from. And now they're thinking of different things, optimizing for different things, and maybe kind of what, what that's resulting in in society, but also for me and myself and my family, my friends is not ideal. And maybe there's a better way. Uh, obviously, we're still trying to find a better way. Facebook is still used by most people. Google the same, but uh, at least now you have easy. If you want to switch from Google, Google Analytics, easy alternatives. If you want to switch from Gmail, easy alternatives. I think there's still it's still difficult for some product. I, I think Google Photos still has a still misses a really good competitor. Google Maps is a really difficult one to compete against as well. I, I could I haven't found any like a like really 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 good one that you know can do restaurant reviews and all that stuff the way the Google Maps does. Uh, but at least uh, for certain aspects of your life of your website, there really are I mean very very competitive alternatives that these days compared to say five years ago, it's much easier to switch. If it you, is. If you want yeah, to. I find myself still being like. It's just so nice to have everything work together. Like I've got the Google Home speakers. I can turn on like my smart lights and play videos on my TV through the Chromecast and then read me my Google calendar and email. Like I feel like I'm sucked in, you know, <laughs> and it hasn't gotten to the point quite yet. Like Google Analytics is actually a good one that I can switch out because it's not connected to anything else that I use with Google. Mm. And like you said, they're going to change everything and like I'm not going to be able to import my data next year and switch yeah. over. So it's going like, to be a fresh start. So I might as well just switch. But everything else, it's like, I feel like you're right, the world would be a better place with like a lot more privacy. You know, it'd be a better place if um, there were more tiny services than this one big service. But the convenience of it makes it just so yeah. difficult. You know, it's so yeah. difficult to switch. I, I agree. It's, it's uh, what they've built. Some of those products are amazing and they work well. If you, if you kind of ignore or, or kind of <laughs> this privacy aspect, some of that stuff is great. It's amazing. I, again, Google Photos. I really love Google Photos. <laughs> like in my de-googling of my personal life, I try to actually remove Google Photos and then and kind of go and then like people recommend do the manual backups and so on. Like I bought like an external hard drive. I'm not a I'm not a developer or techie at all. So I bought like an external yeah. hard drive. I, I tried to like follow what people tell me. I ended up crashing that backup and lost a lot of my pictures. 
And uh, oh, then my son was born, you know, like uh, late last year. And I was like, I really don't want this to happen, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm not capable and uh, we really need good alternatives for things like this. So, so like, uh, I, yeah, convenience and, and the quality of their products are, are amazing. And uh, I have nothing, uh, nothing to say against that. I think, um, I think Google is a bit different issue, such as being so complicated and obviously privacy aspects. But in general, some of the, some of those products, like they're amazing and uh, they're really yeah. difficult to replace. And and if I was like uh, trying to work on a competitor, I think it will be way more difficult than than working yeah. on, on a competitor through Google Analytics itself. Yeah, how do you market a competitor to Google Photos, or it's tied into my Android phone and I take a photo and it automatically goes into Google Photos yeah, and it's, it's automatically just, backed it's up? Yeah, ecosystem. Like they've just got it locked down. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, don't ask me. I, I think. <laughs> um, I'm curious about your business model. You're a SaaS. You're not doing it in an ad-based way. But when anyone can download the code for free, you're, you're open source. How is it that you're making money and like making money hand mm. over fist? Well, we have um, the cloud, the convenience, like we spoke about. The cloud, you just go and sign up. You can be anyone like me. Like, I'm not a developer. I, I, I cannot, even if, if I write the, the straightest the, the instructions ever, it will be difficult for me to go download that on GitHub and find a server and install it and, and make sure it's maintained. If, if I get right. a traffic spot from Hacker News that it doesn't crash, all these things, they're, they're really like intensive, both in terms of experience and knowledge, but also in terms of time. So we, even though we have that, it's, I, would, I would consider like a niche product. And not, not everyone wants to self-host their analytics. Like all the Google Analytics users, they, they don't they don't know that it's possible to self-host analytics because they just use what's convenient and easy, which is Google Analytics. And so we provide our convenient and easy Plausible Analytics in the cloud. You just go to plausible.io, you sign up, and then you worry about uh, you know you insert that little script uh, in your site like you do with Google Analytics, and then you you worry about your website. You worry about driving traffic, checking your stats. You don't need to worry about you know, how do I, how do I get a server and how do I install this analytics on my server and how do I make sure so I don't know, I have my uptime the way it's supposed to be, or I have my backups in case it crashes. You don't have to worry about any of those things. And, and neither do you have to worry about if you use uh, plausible analytics in the cloud. Yeah. So, so basically it's, it's, it's kind of like a balance between the two. I mean, we don't have any telemetry or anything, so we don't know, but uh, there's many people that use our self-hosted because you know, they have the experience, they have the skills, they have the time, they want to learn, they're developers, they prefer, you know, there's many that use it. We get nothing from it in terms of like money because it's free as in beer, as they say, because we want to be part of the open source world. And we believe, we really believe that being open source, having our code there available for everyone to kind of inspect and play with mm-hmm. makes our, our main product better uh, in terms of trust and privacy aspect, because you can actually verify that what we say that it's actually true because you can download it and actually figure out what it actually does if you have the skills to do so which many people exactly whenever i see an outside success like your company that's making millions of dollars it's always like a bunch of different forces pushing in the same direction or maybe it's like a puzzle where all the pieces like fit together and support each other really well right and so like not only do you have like a good team of like a, you know your co-founders, a software engineer is building an awesome product, but you also like came on as a marketer, so you got your bases covered there. But you're like channels that you picked are really good, but then also your product like fits into like those channels really well. Like the fact that you like chose to make it open source because someone could have said, oh, it's a privacy focused Google Analytics alternative, and then not made it open source. Right, and then it would have been much harder for the customers to basically verify what you say is true. There'd been less trust there, like maybe it wouldn't have taken off on Hacker yeah. News. It's like yeah, that's a pretty I, crucial yeah. decision. 
So I don't think we will have been where we are today if we weren't proprietary. No chance. Yeah, I, think that I, I don't we think We could so have either. grown as well, but not not to this uh, to this level. It's pretty crucial because if you look at your market, like I'm assuming, like most of your customers, like if they're these privacy-focused people, I assume a lot of them are developers, right? And I assume a lot of them are like savvy enough to know, like, hey, why are you saying you're privacy-focused and you're not open source? <laughs> Right. And yeah. so it's like you're, you're sort of like titillating them and like appealing directly to your customers and their unique sort of proclivities and interests. And I think a lot of indie hackers, when they start a company, they're not really thinking on that level. You know, they're, they're not thinking like, how do I connect my market and the channels and my product and my business model and make it so all four of those things are really, really meshing well together? Yeah. If you, if you look at the, there's many of these privacy communities that have popped up since GDPR. And like one of the requirements they have for tools, they will recommend and list open source, has to be open source because otherwise we cannot read the code. We cannot figure out what, what it is. We cannot trust you. So, so that's, uh, that's definitely been a key part. One thing that happens often is like, we get an email saying, oh, I'm a developer. I found you on Hacker News. I've, I've installed Puzzle on my server, self-hosted, blah, blah, blah. But now I want to introduce to my company and my company does not want to pay developers to self-host analytics. They just want to pay you because that's way cheaper and more efficient for them rather than having you know, one, two developers making sure uptime is there you know, and then paying, I don't know how much salary they have to pay. They just want to pay us a few dollars here and there. So we do it for them. So that's another kind of growth way for us is like people that self-host our product for free end up recommending us to the companies they work for and, and things like that, which, which ends up benefiting the, the main product in the cloud. Are there any other like surprising maybe downsides to open source? Because I mean, obviously you have the like the channel fit, right? I mean, open source and your uh, main market is developers. So that is really nice. But are there any like weird, I'm not going to say downsides, but you know, is there any, anything tricky that, you know, kind of surprised you when you got it, yeah. you got going with it? Uh, two, two things. Uh, license is one. Like I, I have no idea. I, I was using, uh, you know, I was using WordPress and things like for 10 years. So I have no idea what license WordPress is. So that's not, I, I use WordPress because of the product and the, what website I can build from it. I don't know the license, but, uh, we started with something that's called, what I learned later, it's called permissive uh, license. Was it permissive license? Yeah. Basically a license that allows you to do whatever you want. Like companies can take the product, build uh, and, and kind of sell, sell it to their customers. So what happened when we got that first spike on Hacker News, we got several uh, inquiries from companies who were like, Ooh, we love what you do. We love that it's permissive license. Yeah. Uh, we want to sell it to our audience. <laughs> Unfortunately, we cannot <laughs> say anything to you. Unfortunately, we cannot pay anything to you, but we will give you credit and you will, you will, like, <laughs> it will, it will raise your profile because we have thousands of customers. It will raise your profile and you know, it, then you can get developers and you can get to help you yeah. build a better product, but please, can we'll you make you a footnote in the footer? Yeah, yeah. We're going to compete but, with you and, get, but and the say worst thanks. Is like, uh, the worst is that that part was of our request, the big, bigger request for us to build something first so they can mm. do what they want to do. So the wow. they like, wanted we you to make it easier you. for we them. Want, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, is this okay? Is this possible to do? And I was like, I spent, uh, I don't know, a week or so researching licenses. I found, yeah, with a permissive license, anything is possible. Mm. And so we, uh, we, we spent that week researching. And that's a blog post that went on top of Hacker News as well, uh, with our nice. learnings and our decision to change our license. So I think um, late 2020 or mid or so, like just basically after that big spike initially, we changed the license to something they called copy left, I think. Again, I'm, uh, I've, I've read about these things. I can read it. I can find it online, but uh, like I'm not that familiar with the whole world. I'm just kind of learning. So copy left, uh, something that's called AGPL. 
which has right. a few restrictions in place. Still fully open source. People love it. Like Google, Google actually hates it. Google, that was one of the parts of the blog post. So like Google has forbidden their employees to use anything with this AGPL license because of mm. reasons that it, that it makes it difficult to kind of use it in any really way you want, like uh, in terms of commercial uh, corporate. You basically, uh, you can use whatever you want, but you have to, whatever changes you make to that code, you have to make open source as well and contribute back. And that's a right. big difference from permissive. Permissive, you can do whatever you want, close source it, sell it, improve it, but don't, don't, don't open it. Uh, this one that we use right now makes that one, one distinction really, one. Just like you can do whatever you want, <laughs> but you have to open source it and contribute it back if you do change it. From that change, we have never had uh, issues like this anymore. Nobody is now asking us, oh, can you build this and then we can sell it and we can give you credit and while we're you know, <laughs> selling to our tens of thousands of customers. That, uh, that was one big lesson that, uh, I mean, coming from, you know, the proprietary world and products, like that's not something right. you worry about. You know, you have your products, you worry about marketing, you don't worry about somebody taking it and selling it and, and you're kind of not giving you anything back. That was one big one, huge one. I think everyone who, who goes into open source has to really be careful and know what license they want to use. There's a lot of education material about it. Even our blog post has since been referred several times. Like, oh, this blog post helped us choose our license, which I really made me happy because I was a beginner to that world when I wrote the post. Uh, but, you know, it was like situation made, made me have to become an expert or a little expert at least. Um, Second one was this self-hosted part. It's like we released this free as in beer self-hosted, but the nature of it is so complicated, you know, installing, maintaining, that we started getting so many questions like, oh, I, I tried to install it, but this failed, or I, it, I had a huge spike in traffic, but it's crashed. You know, how do I fix it? Or how do I do this? And like me, I was doing the support at then. I was like, there's, there's no chance I can help you. This, this, you need to have a really high experience with development to, to be able to answer these questions. And these questions are so specific to a specific server and so on. Right. There's no chance that we will spend, uh, we can easily spend most of our day, every day, just responding to those questions. Mm. So that lesson was like, okay, we need to set expectations clear in the future. Like right. there is no longer any support for plausible self-hosted. <laughs> you, right. you, we, we create this community forum. Uh, anyone is, uh, is open to and welcome to contribute. And if you're right. using self-hosted and you love it and you like it, please check it out. And then if somebody, a beginner has a question, can you please help contribute with the answers and then anyone can learn. And that is really like lifted the weight of our shoulders because uh, at one stage we were really struggling because all these really, really highly technical questions were coming our way and we were like, uh, we, were, we just couldn't deal with it. There was no, we were like small resources. So there was like two of us at that point. There's just uh, plausible could not exist if, if we were just having to answer all the technical questions about yeah. self posters. So that was my main uh, lesson number two that I've learned. And now that we have these two in place, a good license, so we no longer worry about that. And, and this kind of really clear on every time you read about self posted now it's really made clear that it's community supported only. There's no guarantees you will, you will be able to get support. If you want support, get on the cloud version and there you will get a response from us within minutes. Uh, because that cloud is so easier. You know, people on the cloud, people don't ask us how do I install it or how do I back it right. up because that's what we do for them. You know, they ask us like, how is this metric working with this metric or, you know, easy questions that I can answer myself. What about in the, um, the analytics industry itself? I don't interview too many people who've built a company in the analytics industry, but there's some really huge players. You know, there's Google Analytics, obviously. Mixpanel is one of the first big ones. We use Amplitude. I think they IPO'd a couple of years ago, worth billions and billions of dollars. It's a huge mm -hmm. industry. There's obviously a lot of space. 
Um, obviously, a lot of people are trying to enter it, but I'm, I'm sure there's like some, uh, you know, some stuff you learn being part of it that outsiders might not know. Like, for example, I've heard it's just super expensive and, and, and complex just to house all this data that you're collecting. So what, what are some things that, you know, you guys have learned about building a company, doing analytics, which is a really crowded space, but obviously a very lucrative one? Uh, what we're still learning to this day is the infrastructure. You know, so the stuff that I talked about self hosted struggling with, imagine then if you have the scale of, of I don't know, 60,000 websites and we're not tracking 2 billion page views per month. Yeah. So imagine that scale yeah. and making sure that the uptime is, I don't know, 99.94, 5, 6, 7, and 9, whatever, very high uptime. Making sure that, you know, that nothing goes down. If it goes down, that we have the backup. You know, making sure that our services are up and running. So the team of eight, uh, we grew from four to eight within the last two months. Yeah. And basically, six of those people are developers. And I would say yeah. at least half of their time combined is spent on infrastructure. <laughs> and wow. that, that, that means, you know, making sure things are running today, making sure that if we continue growing the way we're going, like we went from 1 billion to 2 billion within uh, like six months or so, pages tracked. Making sure that if we go to four billion in the next, uh, you know, next six months, that we can handle that kind of uh, load. What we've decided basically early on was that we want to have that in-house, that kind of infrastructure expertise. Uh, the easy choice, I guess, would have been, oh, let's outsource it to AWS and whatever. They will host and manage the databases for us. But no, we've said we want to be kind of similar to the decision about being bootstrapped. We want to be in control. We want to be kind of flexible to do what we want. And so we said, we're going to do it ourselves. So we manage all of our own infrastructure ourselves with our team. We have all the expertise in-house and we plan to continue like that. So we don't need to rely on the big cloud from AWS or whatever to, to kind of run it for us. I mean, it kind of happened for indie hackers too, where I was making indie hackers. And uh, in the beginning, I didn't think anything about traffic. I was like, oh, I'm just making this cool blog for myself. Like it'll be, you know, maybe I'll get a few hundred visitors. Um, and I just like coded it in a way where like it just wasn't built to scale. And then, like you know, within a few weeks, I was getting hundreds of thousands of visitors a day. I'm like, oh shit! Like this is not, this is not working. You know, like it's not really standing up. But it's fine. You just grow and you change and you uh, you make some hard decisions later on and you kind of fix it. Same thing is true at Stripe, where like there are systems at Stripe like three or four years ago where they're like, you know, relying on code that was built in the early months of Stripe that was like not scaling very well and it was fine. And mm. it's like one lesson to take from that is like, oh, you need to make your code perfect in the beginning so you have to fix this stuff. But then I think the better lesson to take is the opposite, which is like, hey, the code wasn't perfect in the beginning and it still became Stripe and still yeah, worth yeah. $100 billion, you know? And so- That's, uh, that's the way we think about it as well. Like uh, uh, not, not everything is ready and optimized for, oh, what, what if we grow 10X uh, next year, you know? We, we kind of gonna be able to predict that and, and kind of handle it if it happens and we're gonna have the expertise ready to be able to do it in time. So. So yeah, basically this, this, I don't think the infrastructure side will ever be kind of, it's ready now. We don't have to worry about it anymore. I think it will be something we will have to put resources and time into as long as plausible it is there because it's just a great part of, of what we do of our services. Like you got to be fast loading. You're going to be able to track yeah. stats. You're going to be able to display stats. It's such a, it's such a good problem to have, you know, the, the problem that you're worrying about is getting the hug of death from the internet. Um, and <laughs> on that note, uh, Marco, this has been awesome. Um, there are lots of indie hackers, obviously, that are just now getting started, and they have no idea what they're doing. So as a party note, what can other indie hackers learn from your experience? One, one really thing that I, I, I see very often, the, the, let's say, mistake, is, is positioning. Uh, that's something I did the first thing uh, on, on Plausible was like, I, I don't think our positioning is strong enough. You know, I think they mentioned Google Analytics once, twice, but uh, 
it was not like you enter plosvo.io and within two seconds you understand. But now you enter plosvo.io, you, you should understand within, let's say, three seconds what this does. Because there's that big headline is, is really focused on what you already know, which is Google Analytics. Everyone knows it, or I assume everyone knows it. And then we have three or four keywords that everyone, or at least most people have issues with, with what they know. So Google Analytics, but then we say we're lightweight, we're privacy first, we're open source, we're simple. And these are, I think, uh, I don't know, let's say 50% of Google Analytics users have at least some issues with at least one of these topics. It's like, oh, Google Analytics is not privacy first, or Google Analytics is too heavy for my website, or, oh, I really don't know, understand how to work with Google Analytics, so I never check it. And uh, now our position is so clear that those first two seconds that people give you, now they no longer go back because they didn't get it. Now they right. can scroll further down and actually read details about each of these. And I feel when I go and check uh, like a new website many times, this is not, uh, I don't get it in two seconds. And this really with the, the kind of the, I don't know, with the patience people have online these days, if you don't do that well, that first to the top, people will not give you that extra yeah. chance, extra few they seconds bounce. to scroll down. So basically that, that's, I think that's the really advice that I give to, to most uh, kind of new startups because, uh, that will determine whether you will get a chance, whether you will succeed is, is people actually reading what you say further down. But if you don't catch their attention at the top and actually tell them, this is what we do and this is how it compares to what you already know, uh, it will be difficult to, to get them to get it and scroll further down and so on. And, and I feel that's a really big issue for, for many websites. Channing, you remember hanging out with um, April Dunford in Italy? She wrote a book about positioning called Obviously Awesome. And she talks about this, like positioning is basically just like setting the context for your product. And it's something that I think a lot of indie hackers ignore. But like if you essentially choose the right market or you say like the right competitor and like the headline for your product, like that gives readers so much information where they can already just based on like that little, like just by saying Google Analytics, they automatically know what you do. They know a bunch of different features. Like you've told them a million things by saying two different words. And exactly. I think it's like such a smart thing to think about and it's something that, uh, especially if you're listening to this and you've never thought about positioning, check out April's book. Um, Marga, I know you've written a little bit about it on your blog as well. It's worth its weight in gold if you position And the slightly non-obvious thing about that is that the intuitive thing to do is to just think about all the individual features. You're like, oh, we do this, we do this, we do this, and then try to build that up. But if you just give people like a schema that just loads in all those features right. that like shortcuts all of that cognitive labor that people are going to do where yeah attention spans people are going to bounce way before that that's why it's so yeah. popular in silicon valley to say like we're x for y you know we're, like, we're twitter <laughs> for hot dogs you know or like you're something like it's like i mean obviously that doesn't make any sense but like it's if you get it right it's like really easy for people to get what you do anyway marco thanks so much for coming can you let listeners know where they can go to find your blog your writing your twitter um and more about obviously plausible itself well plausible itself is plausible.io we have free trial and go figure out if it's any good compared to what you use currently. Um, my blog is kind of, I, I don't have much time, so I, I didn't write much lately, but I do write once in a while for plausible blogs, so plausible.io forward slash blog. My main kind of uh, way that I communicate this, this, even that is kind of getting sparse because I don't have time is, is Twitter. So twitter.com forward slash Marco Saric, S-A-R-I-C is the last name. Or, or plausible. I'm, I'm also the one writing plausible uh, uh, Twitter. So plausible, um, plausible HQ, I think is our uh, plausible HQ is the. Uh, we cannot get Twitter handle. They don't. We have uh, now the trademark for for plausible and whatever, but they don't allow us to get Twitter. 
somebody somebody registered like I think ten years ago and they never tweeted, but unfortunately uh. Twitter still doesn't allow us, so we have plausible IQ, uh, HQ instead. <laughs> nice, nice. All awesome, right, thanks man. so much, Marga.